welcome to another of Political Yeti's Politics Podcasts. I'm James Miller. Um, Parliament is no more. It was dissolved at midnight. There are now no MPs. Um, so this seemed like a good point to look back at the Parliament that's been. Uh, the 2015-17 to 17 Parliament, um, the one in which the SNP's 56 changed the face of the Commons way back in 2015. It began with Bumgate, when the Nats squabbled with the Labour grandees about who got to sit where. Um, that seems like a long time ago now, because there's been a lot more serious since. We've had an EU referendum, a change of Prime Minister... Uh, an MP murdered in the street, a terrorist attack on the Houses of Parliament, and the slow agony of Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party. Um, Tony Grew, the inveterate Westminster watcher, calls it the traumatic Parliament, and I uh, spoke to him a bit about that, and also about the high points of the last two years, because there have been some. Um, but before that, I caught a few SNP MPs in Portcullis House, uh, as they left for their constituencies and the uh, campaign trail and I asked them about their experiences as first-time MPs in the last two years. Um, first of all, here is Kirsty Blackman on uh, what surprised her about being an MP. Talking and editing, talking and editing. Um, but I think probably the best thing is how different it is. So every single day is different. Um, you're doing different things. Every day you're speaking to different people. You're learning about different things. So the amount of stuff I have learned over the past two years is amazing. And the folk that I've got to meet is also amazing. It's been um, great. Talking and editing, talking and editing. And uh, here is Marion Fellows answering the same question about uh, what surprised her. Talking and editing, talking and editing. I think what I found most surprising is the chamber in many ways because of the I mean like everyone else it's it is a theatre yeah. and that isn't actually where the best work is done yeah. the best work is done in committees in uh, all party parliamentary groups in select committees I'm a member of the education select for example talking and editing talking and editing uh, to be fair I was quite surprised uh, she said that given that the SNP are always saying uh, that they're the hardest working MPs because you can see them in the chamber all the time. Turns out there's lots of other work going on around the building. Um, here's another one of the, uh, the the 56 or the 54 as they became over the course of the last two years. Uh, Deirdre Brock on what and who has impressed her during her time in Parliament. Talking and editing, talking and editing. Okay, easily, Meg Hillier um, on Public okay. Accounts Committee. I was on Public Accounts for a year before I was... Um, fortunate enough to be asked to go on the Scotland uh, Scottish Affairs Committee and she was immensely collegiate she is hard-working incredibly prepared uh, I know my colleague Phil Boswell who took my place on the committee has found her exactly the same she worked across the parties all she wanted to do was get the job done and that was about following the public pound using National Order Office reports she was very impressive and uh, I certainly look forward to seeing her return next year because she is a real asset and amongst uh, your chums, my uh, chums obviously in, yeah. you know, the 56 was thrown together, yeah. uh, largely. I mean, obviously a lot of you knew each other from Scottish Parliament and local councils, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, who's, uh, who's sort of surprised you and impressed you most? Hmm. I mean, you know, well, the obviously Mari, you know, yes, you know, Alec, gonna, of course. You know what they're going to do, but who's been the one who's Well, Mari, 
Mari's passion has been extraordinary. Patrick Grady is brilliant. Patrick Grady is, in terms of procedures of the house and understanding all of that, and then you know sharing that with his colleagues so that we can you know get a better understanding of it. And um, possibly his his role as secretary for the SNP helped with all of that in yes. terms of understanding those procedures. But he is a brilliant speaker, uh, able to speak off the top of his head very capably. Kirsten Oswald is. Um, is wonderful. She's a really warm personality, works her socks off all the time um, and I know, uh, you know, she's got, it's considered that she has a fight in her hand yeah. against, uh, on her hands against the Tories in her seat but, you know, I have every faith in the um, good, good, uh, good sense of the, the, the people of her constituency because she's been a terrific MP. I've been really impressed by her. Um, who else? I mean, we all, you know, I know a lot yeah, of the press get. No, no, no. But we all actually have a genuine link with each other, and I think a lot of the other parties find that difficult to understand. That's partly because, you know, we have um, a core aim, which is we are here to look after the interests of the people of Scotland. Talking and editing. Talking and editing. However, uh, she's not so keen on the Tories. It turns out. Talking and editing. Talking and editing. Have you learnt more about the Tories by sitting opposite them? Yes. And have you learnt more about them for, for good or ill? I've learnt for ill, to be honest with you. I think, um, by and large, they're so immensely privileged. They have no real understanding of how ordinary people live, uh, how ordinary people live, um, and their arrogance towards us at times is really. You know, it does your head in, to use um, the, the popular phrase. I mean, I had a young man telling me that um, I shouldn't be insolent. Now, he was probably 25 years younger than me, telling me not to be insolent, because um, I forget what we were talking about, but I just thought that's that's sort of typical the kind of attitude that we've had. I think we've surprised them by our work ethic, by how prepared we are, by how often we pin them down on um, the, the many mistakes that they have made uh, and the, I mean, the sheer heartlessness of many of their policies. Talking and editing, talking and editing. Um, and that is something that Chris Stevens also picked up on uh, when I spoke to him. Talking and editing, talking and editing. What has surprised you about being an MP in the last couple of years? Oh, many, many things, but uh, I think the thing that probably takes your breath away, which you suspect, but until you're actually here, it, it's right in your face is the class differential um, and the attitudes. Yeah, um, give me some examples. The attitudes to life, um, certainly the conservative view that there is no poverty in the country when you listen to some of them you wouldn't you would know there was any poverty in the country um, they don't know what someone who has to go through the departments of what process or processes has, has to go through um, and their assumption their, their underlying assumption that they're born to rule and th th there is an arrogant attitude there which really um, hits you between the eyes so I think that's the thing that's um, Although I expected some of that, I was actually... It took my breath away just how in-your-face it actually is. So that's uh, that's only going to be um, reinforced by their 200 majority that they're well, going to have after well, the election. Well, I think the voters <laughs> will decide... Um, talking and editing, talking and editing. And Chris predicted a bitter pancane campaign to come. Talking and editing, talking and editing. My fear about the, the upcoming election is that hate is on the rise. 
and uh, there's a political discourse now where um, immigration is being blamed for um, things which immigration uh, and those who have sought refuge in the country or are here to work are not responsible for. It's not an immigrant's fault that there's um, uh, job shortages, it's not an immigrant's fault that uh, there's low pay, it's not an immigrant's fault uh, that the government have decided to slash public spending. So I'm really concerned about that uh, political discourse and I think that that's got, um, that that's part of what's happening with the Tory revivals. Talking and editing, talking and editing. Um, however, interestingly, despite the SNP uh, trashing Westminster at every opportunity, he also expressed a strong desire to get back to London uh, in June. Talking and editing, talking and editing. If, are you, all right, are you looking forward to coming back? You know, I appreciate you can't take it for granted, but if you win and you come back, are you looking forward well, to it this well, time well, Did you look forward to it? I'll, I'll answer to it, well, well, I'll answer the uh, question this way then. There are things I want to do if I'm returned. I want to continue to pursue workers' rights issues. I've had the privilege of being the PCS, Public and Commercial Services Union's Parliamentary Group Chair. Um, And if I'm back, I would like to continue in that role. Uh, There's been a lot of information in relation to job centres, a lack of staffing on regulation. Um, So there's all these things I want to if I am returned, I'll be bringing back a bill to um, eliminate telephone call charges to people who phone Department of Work and Pensions Helpline. So, for me, there's a lot of work still to, to do. I think that th- this election, unfortunately for me, <coughs> is probably getting in the way of some of the things I want to pursue and do. But uh, certainly, um, if I'm coming back, there's lots for me to do and, uh, and a lot of work uh, in relation to many of those issues. Talking and editing, talking and editing. So, there's some of the class of 2015 giving their views on the Parliament. Here is a veteran of a few Parliaments uh, and a few podcast episodes as well, it has to be said. Tony Grew, uh, talking to me about the traumatic Parliament, the 2015 to 17 Parliament. Talking and editing, talking and editing. Uh, So, yeah, I'm here with Tony Grew. Tony Grew, um, you correctly predicted on my podcast in 2015 that this parliament would be nasty brutish and short now your working was wrong because you thought ed miliband would lead a short-lived administration and it would all end in disaster um but your um answer was correct yes it has been nasty brutish and short it has been let's start let's take them in reverse order it's been short in two years um why well, God, you, when you ask me to think back to 2015, it seems like such a simpler, gentler... Seems like more than two years ago, doesn't it? Seems like it. Well, it, it is a lifetime ago in our in our politics because the biggest change that happened was Brexit. Um, no one expected that, uh, really. I don't yes. I don't recall anyone back in 2015 predicting that the UK would vote to leave yes. the European Union. So the reason it's been short is because... Um, first of all, we have to acknowledge the incredible amount of change that we've gone through in those two years. Um, we've had uh, a new prime minister. Yeah. We had the Tories win a majority government. Um, we had the Labour Party go through what I can only be described as a sustained breakdown. Um, yeah. So, you know, a confluence of circumstances have brought us to this parliament being short. But in terms of my predictions, you know, I was confidently predicting 
on the morning that Theresa May called a general election that she definitely wasn't going to call a general election. So I think all of us uh, as pundits and as predictors um, have got some, you know, not questions to answer, but we do have to pause and try and uh, adjust ourselves to the fact that everything is changing so quickly that um, sometimes our predictions can be outdated by the time it actually gets to the election. True. Let's just uh, pick up on that because you are obviously Parliament Watcher extraordinaire. Thank you. Um, and I mean, I said, but I, will, I bow to your superior uh, knowledge on this one. I've never known anything like it, that calling of the election. It was kept a genuine secret in Westminster. There was yeah. no whispers until whatever it was, half past nine, she says, I'm going to be on the steps of Downing Street in a bit. Yeah. Nobody had any idea. It was amazing. Yeah, I mean, and there were there were some signals, but, you know, they were too subtle for people like me to pick up. No, seriously, you know, I know people that, uh, that work at party headquarters, the Tory party headquarters. Yeah. I know people that work directly with the party chairman who were confidently telling me that no election planning was going on and that there wasn't, and they weren't lying to me because, you know, as far as they could see walking into central office, there wasn't anything happening. There wasn't any election planning going on. I think that Theresa May, this is an example of the fact that she is a risk taker. You know, this is a risk. There is a possibility this could, you know, elections elections are always a risk. So, you know, she's taken the risk. And I, my personal view is I think the the voters are probably going to reward her, but let's keep our focus on, on this parliament. Um, I knew that I was going to come on this programme. I've been thinking about it deeply and I've decided that this is the traumatic parliament that I've, I've, yeah. never, I've never seen personally gone through and seen people go through as much trauma as I have in the past two years. And I mean that both from the Tories, you know, going through the trauma of, of Brexit, the trauma of losing David Cameron yeah. as prime minister. The Labour Party's traumas, you know, I, I remember standing on the terrace of the House of Commons talking to party whips about how they were going to take down their own leader. Yeah. Uh, the trauma. <laughs> and they haven't. And they haven't. But the trauma that the Labour Party's been through in the last two years has been um, horrible to be around. You know, yeah. the, the despair that they feel. They, and then that, that one moment last summer when they finally got off their knees and decided to fight, fight and fight again for the party that they believed in and then just showed themselves to be completely incompetent, completely unable, completely unable to, to unseat Jeremy Corbyn. And mm. they're, now, they're now facing into an election presenting probably the least credible person that's ever been presented to the British people Ooh, as a potential. A no, it is a bit. It's true. He's completely, Ooh. he is the most... I'm not disputing it, I have to say. I'm not trying to think if there's any other runners well, and riders. You, people okay. talk about incompetent leaders. Ian Duncan Smith, no, he was nowhere near as terrible as this guy. Um, yeah, no, I do reckon, actually. Mm. And, and, but he never faced an election, of course. Exactly, but Labour's problems go far beyond the leadership. That's the other issue that they have. They're, they're now in their third unelectable leader. That's quite, uh. that's quite, quite an achievement, really, when you think about it. Yes, fair point, um, yeah. So there, there, had their trauma. Then we had the trauma of the Liberal Democrats going from a party of government to yes. uh, what uh, Alistair Carmichael referred to as an elite, an elite cadre of, of, of Lib Dems on the first on the first day of this of this Parliament. It's just been trauma, and that's before we even talk about the fact that an MP was um, beaten, stabbed, and shot and killed wow. on the streets of her own constituency in Yorkshire, and the incredible amount of trauma that created well, in Parliament. Right, and on, and just, if I may just finish yeah. my point about the traumatic Parliament. The events of the 22nd of March, in which, you know, London suffered a major terrorist attack. Um, tourists and other people were killed in central London and a police officer was killed in the grounds of Parliament. It, I, I, I hate general elections because I hate to see good MPs lose their seats and I hate to see good members of staff, you know, people who through no fault of their own are going to lose their job. Um, 
but I'm on balance glad this parliament's over and I hope I never see another one like it. Well, yeah, let's just do the brutish part of it because it has sure. been brutish, is it? There was the, the terrorist attack here. But um, I would very much focus in terms of brutish. I don't particularly want to dwell on it. But um, Joe Cox being murdered uh, was clearly, you know, a, on the face of it, a, uh, I don't want to call it a punctuation mark. I mean, it was a horrific thing to happen. And yet, it doesn't feel like it got the coverage it deserves it hasn't had the the uh, effect it should have had in that um within days we were all back on brexit talk an eu referendum uh, nigel farage says you know we've left without a bullet being fired which is a lie um and there are people now your reasons for disliking general elections are entirely uh, reasonable but there are plenty of um commentators and journalists who will go oh, elections they're rubbish oh, MPs they're all rubbish have you learnt nothing they're not elections are brilliant because they're this big peaceful transfer of power I mean there's not going to be a transfer of power this time out. and MPs are generally good guys they're trying to do something good and yet we still have this sneery attitude despite the fact one of them actually you know paid the ultimate price for her police for her job I think that ever since the Daily Telegraph's expose of the expenses scandal in 2009, we've seen nothing except negative headlines yeah. against MPs. And I do, you know, the conduct of some of my colleagues is reprehensible. Um, and I think that some, some of our newspapers, because uh, it doesn't apply to broadcasters, are coarsen- have consistently yeah. coarsened debate in our country and have created an atmosphere where MPs face levels of... Uh, Abuse online that I've that I've never seen. That's another part of this traumatic Parliament is the rise of uh, the amount of abuse and death threats that members of Parliament yeah. have have faced. That was not that was not a feature of previous Parliaments. Do you know one of the saddest things I saw was in Portcullis last week. Lindsay Hoyle, the Deputy Speaker, was there, yeah. and he was handing out personal alarms to yeah. MPs and their staff to try and keep them safe during the general election. I mean, just just think about that for a second. The House of Commons is now at a stage where it feels that its role is to hand out. Um, personal protection uh, equipment mm. to MPs and their staff because they're so concerned about their security. I've had conversations with MPs about security changes that they had to make to their house. In previous parliaments, yeah. literally only the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland and various other senior government members mm. would have had to take security in their homes. Now every single backbencher has to think about what happens if someone puts a Molotov cocktail through my front door. You know, it, Are my children's bedrooms secure enough to be used as a room to shelter in? That's the coarsening, that's the trauma, that's the horrific nature of it. And on, on Joe Cox, you're absolutely right. Let me just say this, if, if you exclude Irish terrorism, um, no MP has ever been murdered in this country, if you, as I say, if you exclude Irish terrorism. It's never happened, and even in 1812 when uh, Spencer Percival was assassinated, that, that case is what we would now uh, regard as a, as a mental health case. This man, the man that killed Joe Cox, was not mentally ill. Yeah, he was politically motivated. Yeah, we've had a political murder in the streets of Britain yep. last year, and you're right, it doesn't get the the um, the coverage it does. But can I just come back to this thing about trauma? Joe Cox's friends, mm. her MP friends, have been going through this trauma. Yeah. they've been trying to deal with the murder of of one of their colleagues, of the brightest and the best. You know, I I met her. Um, the only time I vividly remember meeting her was we had a reception um, for new MPs, which is something we do at the press gallery every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was standing with West Reading and some other um, uh, new MPs that I knew. Mm. And he introduced me to Joe Cox, who was this tiny little woman. She smiled a sardonic smile at me because I was a journalist and I was friends mm. with Wes and all that sort of stuff. But the optimism in that room, the optimism of yeah. standing amongst new MPs back in 2015, the optimism of lit- new, the amount of huge amount of talent that came in 
uh, with Labour in 2015 and how they were going to make the party and how, how they were going to get ahead. Not They'd been defeated under Ed Miliband, but they were, they were going to come back and they were going to fight against David Cameron and, and in their mind, the evil Tories. When I think back to that now, it breaks my heart. And I, I just hope this election will be a cleansing experience and that, again in June I'll be standing in a room with a load of new MPs and hopefully I can feed off that optimism again because at the moment I don't feel any of it. Oh, I, I, you know, <laughs> this is very negative. I don't, but you know, maybe that's because that's the nature of the parliament. We've done brutish, we've done short, nasty. Um, inside the chamber, interestingly, you know, I've spoken to, um, as we've heard, a few uh, of the SNP MPs mm-hmm. who've served one term, albeit mm-hmm. a short term. Um, one of the things that a number of them mention is that Tories are horrible that they have discovered that sitting opposite the Tories you realise they are wicked and nasty now part of that is election chat because it's an SNP Tory race in Scotland Um, has it been uh, you know this is I don't know how many parliaments you've sat through now Um, has it been you know that the standard of the debate in the chamber has it been noticeably nastier or different no, I don't think so. I mean, I think, obviously, if you're a new MP, the culture of Westminster can take a bit of time to get yes. to get used to. And it, look, it's a combative chamber. Um, and one of the things that's very difficult to understand, even from physically watching it, and even less so from television, is just how the acoustics and the eye lines work in the chamber. Yeah. So in other words, if a, yeah. if a Tory MP is sitting, whatever it is, sort of 10 feet yeah. away from you on, on the opposite benches, they're quite able to shout something across at you or to make uh, a hand gesture at you that the speaker may not pick up on, yeah. but that you find yourself grievously ins- insulted by. Um, you know, in that sense... It's a, you know, it's the nature of the chamber. I don't think it's got any more nasty or British. I think, I think one of the aspects that we have seen in this parliament is that I actually was talking to a Tory MP about this the other day because he'd done exactly this. I said to him, do you just get bored and then decide that you're going to stand up and poke the bear, i.e. the SNP, just so yeah. they can go, Grr! which is basically what happens. It all gets very boring and a Tory stands up and says, well, in Scotland, yeah. and then points at the SNP and then they growl at him. And the whole thing, you know, becomes that sort of SNP Baiting. What I'd say to those MPs is, if MPs, if 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 Labour, M- sorry, if Tory MPs are rude to you, if Tory MPs um, attempt to put you off, it's because they see you as a threat. I mean, oh, okay. that's that's if, if you know what do they yeah. do at the Lib Dems? They just laugh at them. That's true. Yes. Um, are Tories nasty? Um, some I, I imagine. They? Well, you could say that about any group of people. Are Jesuits nasty? I'm sure some of them are. Whoa, 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 whoa. I don't even. I don't want to go there. Okay. Uh, well, could, I'm just uh, saying. Are they nasty? I think that they're very. I think that Tories can be uh, rambunctious. I think that they can, you know, get mm. get into the meat and drink of arguing and, you know, trying to put your opponent off and all that sort of stuff. But I don't think they're inherently nasty. And I think that's one of the massive mistakes that the left makes is that they try and paint the Conservatives as evil and nasty and bad people, not realizing what they're doing is they're actually also telling Tory voters and therefore potential Labour voters, i.e., the people they need to win an election, yeah. that they're evil and that they're wrong. The left has a moral superiority. And, you know, they may continue to wallow in that moral superiority for the next 10 to 20 years because we're going to have Tory governments for some time. Oh, don't be so sure about that. Don't well, be sometime. so sure about that. Okay. Um, the next Labour Prime Minister is going to be elected in six weeks' time. I don't know who it is. I don't know who it is. Uh, no, I think that's unlikely. But somebody who comes in in 2015 is going to be the person. 2017? Yeah, yes. Oh, I'm all confused. Actually what's, more like, actually, what's more likely is that you're going to see people who potentially could have led the party um, who were elected in 2015 are going to lose their seats thanks to Jeremy Corbyn and he's going to return with a rump of left-wingers. Well, that's well, that's the outcome. Yeah. That's the obvious outcome. Um, and, and all the really good people, all the really smart people, all the people who came in that... that 
huge, um, you know, talent group of talented MPs that came in for Labour in 2015. Uh, a significant number of them are facing oblivion. Oh, yeah, right. Let's do some cheery stuff. That, well, right? That's let's not cheery some, enough for you? Let's do some cheery stuff, okay. right? Who, well, any highlights from this yeah. miserable parliament? There's what wh- stood out for you as a good, funny, heartwarming, just a, well, anything good happened in the last two years? There's just one moment that always sticks out in my mind. Um, we're in the chamber and um, it was the day, it was the first sitting day after the EU referendum. Oh, yeah. So it was the Monday. And, um, so as the day started, it always starts with departmental questions and then statements. And on the order paper, the prime minister was, was there to make a statement yeah. on the European referendum yeah. that he'd lost and that he had subsequently said he was going to resign. So terrible moment for the prime minister. But the bit I love about it was just before the speaker called him, the speaker went, oh, no, hold on a sec. Hold on. Is there a new member wishing to take the oath? And Rosina Allen Khan, who'd won the tooting by-election, yeah. beaming because she'd just become an MP, yeah. is standing there at the bar of the House with their supporters about to take the oath. And I just thought, oh my God, what a minute to become an MP. Cameron is about, like, the Prime Minister is about to stand up and go, yeah, about that European referendum I had Thursday, um, I kind of, kind of lost that yeah. one. So what we're going to do next is, <laughs> and just the, the, the beautiful moment of Parliament, that even in, you know, even in the face of adversity, and even in this terrible moment for David Cameron personally, there's always new life. Carries there's always on. a new MP. You know, and there she is, full of life, full of happiness. Just cannot wait to get started in her new career as an MP. Cameron's, you know, career was dying in front of us, and yet there was this, as I say, new hope. And it always made me smile. That's philosophical. Well, um, it's just because, and the other thing about it as well, of course, that you do get like this really rare moment of happiness for Labour. You know, actually, yes, actually we've got something. a new, we've actually won something. We've got a new MP. Yay us! Um, who, right? Here's the Tony Grew, 2015, 2017 Parliament Awards. Okay. Who's your? Who's Thank our, you, by the way, for not consulting me about any of this stuff no. afterwards and just doing it on air, so that well, I now have I to know. think really quickly. Well, I, I was talking to somebody about something else, okay. so I didn't get a chance to. Okay, come all, over right, and right, brief right, you. Right, all right, 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 all right. No, it's not okay, um, actually. Oh come on! You're it's like deeply the king un- of Parliament. You've deeply unprofessional. You think about this stuff all the time. I do. What do you? So um, hit me with them. Come then, on, then. MP of the MP of the Parliament. Who's who's uh, impressed in a good way? Not because not like David Cameron because he messed Probably up the Parliament. Philip Davies, I'd say. Oh, you're just winding. He's a very kind man. I'm, I'm going to cut those words out. I'm not going to allow okay. you to say those words on um, this podcast. For me, yeah. personally... Who's impressed you? Alison Thielis has yeah. hugely impressed me. Um, and just with her just with her ability to to take an issue uh, and to run with it. And to, this, is the, this is the meat and drink of being an MP, a backbench MP, if you can do it properly. Which is, if, if you can get to a stage... Yeah. Where every time you stand up, I look at me and the journalists look at each other in the press gallery and, and just say rape clause because yeah. we know that she's she's like a dog with a bone and she's going to keep at it and yeah. at it and at it. I have huge respect for that and I think that she has marked herself out as some of the SMB can be unnecessarily partisan mm-hmm. um, and yeah. and and aggressive if I'm you know in in their approach um, and she's always courteous uh, and also. Um, I just like the way she equips herself in the chamber. She's diligent. I'd also give special mentions to Kirsty Blackman for the same reasons. Oh, yes. She's diligent. Yeah. She does her work and, and she, she really reads into stuff. Um, and I suppose I'd better mention a man now in case I get into... No, you don't. No, that's not how it works. <laughs> okay, well, those... Don't have to. Unless you want to tell me who has uh, disappointed. That's a bit negative, isn't it, to pick out somebody who's disappointed. That, yeah, I mean, I, that. It, it's been, as I said, it's been a traumatic parliament for us all. Um... One of the difficult things that I find with elections is, so for so for example, my home state where I grew up is Belfast East, and it was represented by a woman called Naomi Long from 2010 to 2015, who yeah. spectacularly beat the DUP leader, Peter Robinson at the time, to take the seat yes. from the DUP. 
Um, and the DUP fought back hard in 2015, ran quite a negative campaign against her, and then the man that took over from her, Gavin Robinson, no relation to the other Robinson, um, made quite a, quite a nasty speech when he'd mm. won, talking about how it's been a long time and all this sort of stuff too. Mm. And it left a bit of a bad taste in my mouth. But, the, but the, what tends to happen with Parliament is we're now two years in and I know, now I know Gavin Robinson. He's an absolutely lovely guy. Ah, and, yes. and, you know, he's, he's one of my favourite MPs to talk to. So it's, it's, it, politics, Parliament can be a bit weird uh, like that. I don't think there's anyone that stands out as having disappointed me. Um, yeah, well, personally. Let's negative. Let's keep it positive. We've done enough bad stuff. I think stuff we've had enough, enough bad stuff. Um, what I was going to say is one of the other things that, that's interesting if you've known MPs now because I have through a, three, through a few cycles yeah. is to see which ones just end up in the cabinet or which ones end up in government yeah. that you wouldn't have expected and that's been, that's been really interesting because that's when you see how some people have been appointed ministers and have, have not been very good at it yeah. and other people have been appointed ministers and have just, have just blossomed and have yeah. just become really good and suddenly you look at them now at minister of state level and think you could be in the cabinet quite soon actually Gavin Barwell uh, yeah, I think Gavin Ball was. No, that actually wasn't who I was thinking no. of. I was actually thinking of Karen Bradley, who's now the Culture Secretary, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and who I've known since she became an MP in 2010. Yeah. And and just, you know, she she has impressed uh, the Prime Minister. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what sort of reshuffle Theresa has after. Sorry, no, the Prime Minister has after. Oh yeah, the you're doing the Theresa thing, are you? Well, at least yeah. I know how to pronounce her name and don't call her Theresa. Oh, who calls her that? Various annoying English people in the television. Oh, and it, okay. every time it just cuts me because I just think it's not Teresa, it's Teresa. Oh, I'll have to listen out for that. What I call yeah. her. Um, but as you say, uh, Parliament regenerates like Doctor Who. It certainly it will does. Regenerate in six weeks' time. We'll be all back here with a lovely state opening. Although the Queen's just going to come in a little motor car this time round. I don't think it'll be a small car. It won't be. A, it won't be a micro. But Might be. Uh, Her Majesty is. Might be an electric it, there car. Are, there is going to be a, a scaled down state opening, which will be fascinating because we haven't had one since 1974. So it'll be really interesting to see. And it's that. exciting, isn't it? It is exciting. I mean, I know you say you hate general elections and all that stuff, and I get why, but. You know, it's a it's a great thing. Can, can really, I be honest, though? What I hate about one of the things I detest about um, general elections is I live in a marginal seat, so it's just constant, constant, constant annoyance. No, your vote counts. That's brilliant. I'm well aware that my, I'm well aware that my vote counts, <laughs> but what I'm not enjoying is having the Labour and Liberal Democrat parties sort of seeing who can knock on our door as, as many. You know, you as many times. You can like, engage them in conversation. And I have don't. A good old chat. I, I, I have absolutely, you know, no intention of talking to these people. I'm fully aware of what their policy positions are and of the personalities of the people involved ah. so I've already made up my mind have you? yeah who are you going to vote for? Uh, I'm going to vote for Neil Coyle oh you're in that seat are you? Yeah. oh there we go I'm going to vote, I'm gonna vote I'm ironically going to vote what choice Neil Coyle or old, old, that boring man what's his name Sir, Simon Hughes Sir Simon Hughes Sir Simon Hughes and his so ironically taxi. he's got a taxi you know, you know? I, I'm, I'm well aware of his taxi he's got a taxi so ironically in 2015 I voted for Simon Hughes because I felt that the Liberal Democrats shouldn't be punished for doing what I thought was the right thing which is going oh, into government right. in 2010 then he lost. And again, this is the thing about my, my privileged position, is that over the last two years, I've got to know Neil Coyle, my MP, yeah. and I think he's an excellent MP, mm. and I don't think the Lib Dems should be able to snatch his seat from him because of Jeremy Corbyn, just like there's a whole... Mm. There are dozens of Labour MPs I know who, who might lose their seats because of the incompetence of Jeremy Corbyn. So I'm going to vote for Neil, and hopefully he'll make it over the line. Well, it's exciting to find out if he does it. It's going to be exciting on election night and all that sort of stuff. But anyway, we will look forward to election night and election stuff in the next few weeks with some uh, election specials on this podcast. There's something exciting to look forward to, Tony. I'm very excited. Talking and editing, talking and editing. So there you go. That's the 2015 to 17 Parliament done, dusted and reviewed. However, it wouldn't be a uh, political yetis politics podcast without 
it's a weird flight of fancy really um, when I was talking to Kirsty Blackman I let slip that I have actually come up with a solution to global warming um, so it seems only fair to share it here um, I will play out with that so before I go uh, the usual get in contact with me to discuss this or anything you want to hear in the election specials to come on politicalyeti at gmail.com or at politicalyeti on Twitter or check out my new website yes uh, james-miller.com um, there's not a lot there yet but it will be worth putting in your favourites now I promise uh, and tune in next week for the first um, election special um, which will probably be coming uh, live from a pub somewhere I think um, for now Here's the solution to global warming. Talking and editing, talking and editing. Um, here's an interesting thing about boats. Oh, we're getting, we're getting off topic already. How much do you think the sea levels would drop if there was no boats? I don't know. I think I might have found the answer to global warming. Right? Because all ships have a displacement. Uh-huh. Well, if you took all the ships away, then surely the sea, sea level would sort of go down. But how would we get bananas? Well, we just have to go without bananas.